0: Your patient is planning to adopt a baby from China. What medical advice can you give her? What can she expect in terms of health exams for the baby? You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today we are discussing travel medicine. In this show, we will be focusing on international adoption and family travel. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. With me today is Dr. Christy Reed. Dr. Reed is one of the Traveler's Health Science Officers at the Centers for Disease Control. She is also the GeoSentinel Project Director of the Geographic Medicine and Health Promotion Branch within the Division of Global Migration and Quarantine at the CDC. As one of the editors of the CDC's Medical Guide for Travel Medicine, Yellow Book, she is a nationally recognized expert on travel medicine. Welcome, Dr. Reed. Thank you. Where are Americans adopting overseas? What are the most popular countries?
1: Well, recently, between 2001 and 2005, the most popular countries are Ethiopia, China, Guatemala. Certain countries that have decreased in the number would be Cambodia, Vietnam, and Romania.
0: What are some of the infectious diseases that are of particular concern in some of these countries?
1: Well, For anyone traveling to pick up a child for adoption, we encourage them to see a travel physician as soon as international travel is thought about because there are a variety of conditions. Usually these are children from developing worlds. And for both the traveler going over and for the child, because often there's a period of time where the person picking up the child and the child stay together maybe a week or so in the country. Traveler's diarrhea is always an issue. So food and water safe food and water are elements to be concerned of. Also, again, in many of the developing parts of the world, particularly tropical, are issues related to vector-borne diseases such as dengue, uh, malaria. So there would be insect precautions, and in the case of malaria, prophylaxis. And again, for the person traveling over and for the child. But vaccine-preventable diseases have been in the news a bit recently, Vaccine-preventable diseases, many of them have been reduced in significant number in the United States. For example, we rarely see a case of measles unless it's imported, but measles is a problem worldwide. Other issues are, for example, hepatitis A. We vaccinate babies now at a year of age in the United States, but hepatitis A is a common problem, and children may be infected or have the disease and have very mild symptoms, but it's a significant illness in adults. So we encourage that the person traveling abroad to pick up the child be aware of their immune status for vaccine-preventable diseases, whether it's tetanus, hepatitis A, measles, and also issues of thinking about when they bring the child home. There are incubation periods that are a few weeks for the common ones, such as chickenpox or measles, but it can be out to several weeks to months for hepatitis A and hepatitis B. So for the family members, for the caregivers, for the grandpa and grandma who are going to come from out of town to see the new baby, we would like them to also be aware of their immunization status and be up to date.
0: So what sort of follow-up exams should the adoptive child have in the U.S.? Is there any, I mean, do they just follow up with the pediatrician as they normally would for their age, or are there specific exams that they should have in the U.S. at intervals after they arrive here.
1: Yes, they should make arrangements for a pediatrician to see the child on arrival and deal with any of the immediate issues. And then you would need to assess based on the child. There are some issues related to infectious diseases, for example, they can look for elements in the stool if there any problems with diarrhea. And one has to assess the vaccine status. There may have been vaccines given abroad, but oftentimes they need to update, repeat, or reassess the situation. There are other exams related to growth and development that are needed. And again, on the initial assessment, the pediatrician and the family would work out a schedule of what would be appropriate. There are also psychological issues based on the age of the child, the condition that they were in while they were abroad, and The initial assessment and periodic assessments will determine what additional steps or even interventions might be needed.
0: Uh, Don't the children require an exam in their host country before they're even allowed to enter the United States?
1: They do, and adoptees make up 2% of U.S. legal immigrants. They do have an exam in their country, and there are are various things that are looked for, but it's usually recommended that the exam be repeated when the child comes back for their pediatrician in the U.S.
0: Well, there are a number of issues related to international travel that small children can have, and that are actually listed in Yellow Book. To see the list was uh, quite daunting, some of these things I just hadn't thought of. Even children, I suppose, can be affected by jet lag. Is that a concern?
1: It is a concern in that children are often on a very set regimen, And the first day of travel, either going west or east, will alter their timetable. And adults, adults also, but children are often on a more set schedule. And so when one gets to the new environment, if one's coming back to the U.S., then trying to acclimate them gradually to the new setting, it depends on how much of a time interval between where they had been and where they were arriving. As to how long it will take.
0: But it certainly is a consideration that parents shouldn't forget.
1: Oh, definitely. And just the whole prospect of travel. Some children, this will be a very exciting time for them. If they've been in a, a remote area, very quiet, just going through airports, coming into the U.S., again, often many family members want to come and see. It can be a, a lot of information for a child who may have lived in a very quiet environment before.
0: If you have just joined us, you are listening to Reach MD, XM 233 the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Christy Reed, a nationally recognized expert on travel medicine and one of the editors of Yellow Book. We are discussing international adoption and family travel. Children are also uh, more susceptible to dehydration and traveler's diarrhea. Is that correct?
1: Exactly. That's, I'm a pediatrician and an internist, but a pediatrician is always aware of diarrhea and the consequences, whether it's a child here or a child internationally. Internationally, you have fewer resources, so starting early is always the best advice. With an increase in number of stools, the family should start replacing fluids immediately, and even if it's in small quantities trying to keep pace with the amount that is being put out in the diarrhea.
0: Any antibiotics that a family should take with them to treat their small children?
1: It depends on the child's age, and that's, again, why consulting with a travel medicine physician before they go, and one can anticipate then if one's going to adopt. Again, that's another reason to talk to the travel medicine physician. It will depend on where they're going as to which medication would be recommended. But also oral rehydration salts. It's a packet. Uh, again, diarrhea is a worldwide problem. WHO has a worldwide system of these packets that one reconstitutes in safe water, water that's been boiled or bottled. And starting those fluids right away are some of the most critical. And they can even be dripped into the mouth off of a spoon It can be time-consuming, but it can save a trip to the hospital.
0: Well, that sounds like an important thing to know. What about motion sickness? What can families do about motion sickness, whether it's on a boat or an airplane?
1: There are a limited number of options with children, particularly children under 2. Diphenhydramine Benadryl is one that is weight-based for children, but again, not for infants and neonates. So one needs to pay great attention to that. Medications can also cause idiosyncratic reactions. Unfortunately, some of these medications can cause the kids to be more active. So there's not a great range of medications for children in this capacity. And as I said, particular caution for children under 2. But the weight-based doses are for children above 2, up to adult size.
0: Now, what about malaria prophylaxis in small children, such as infants, What special considerations are there for this age group?
1: That's an excellent point. For one thing, just a reminder that the mother needs to be on medication and breastfeeding, they may excrete a small amount, but it's not sufficient to protect the infant. The infant needs to have their own medication, whether they're breastfeeding or not. It will depend on where they're traveling, but the number of medications is actually smaller than that for adults. In some areas, one can take chloroquine, but Mesliquin and Malarone are the medications that are for that population. And what's new in the new yellow book is that the lower weight limit for utilization of Malarone has been down to now five kilograms. And it's weight based and it needs to be given on the appropriate schedule. Often it needs to be crushed into a small amount of material that the baby will take, either or prepared by a pharmacist, in a, a compounding pharmacist, in a liquid form.
0: So even babies can take uh, malaria prophylaxis, even in the alternatives to chloroquine.
1: Yes, but they're weight-based. And again, someone needs to look at the appropriate weight base. And as I said, the malarin will go down now to 5 kilograms.
0: Any special instructions or considerations for nursing mothers during international travel?
1: For mothers that are nursing, as I mentioned it's important that they remember to take their malaria prophylaxis. Also, in preparing for travel, the vaccination status, the majority of vaccines are safe for use in a breastfeeding woman. There's a theoretical concern about yellow fever since it's a live virus vaccine, and that needs to be discussed with their physician and depending on where they're traveling. Also, for the breastfeeding mother, it would make a difference in terms of what malaria recommendations we make or her, depending on where she's traveling and the age of her infant. There's also an entire chapter in the Yellow Book on other recommendations trying to maintain breastfeeding while she's gone and advice in terms of carrying her equipment with her and how to handle and store the milk while she's gone. Those are a variety of issues.
0: And that was the next question. What about storing supplemental milk or supplemental uh, breast milk what considerations should the traveling mother take into account?
1: She needs to take into account that this is a product that needs to be kept in a clean environment and temperature. And so whether she can maintain those, and again, it's a product that the baby's going to ingest, so does she have the options to have clean containers to put it in, and can it be kept at the right temperature?
0: I imagine that for some underdeveloped countries or third-world countries, uh, that can be a real problem. Refrigeration may not be accessible.
1: Exactly, for sustained periods. But breastfeeding is a very good recommendation for the baby if one is traveling to developing parts of the world because diarrhea is such a big issue. And in terms of if one's trying to prepare formulas, et cetera, one has to be careful of the water source and the, how things are made. So breastfeeding is a great recommendation for traveling with an infant. And also if the infant were to have diarrhea, Breastfeeding and maintaining feeding throughout the diarrhea is very important.
0: Are there any anti-diarrheal agents you can actually give babies safely? Can you give them Imodium or Lomotil?
1: No. And again, those things are not necessarily recommended for children and certainly not for babies.
0: The anti-spasmodics basically are out. The key for treating diarrhea in small children is uh, rehydration uh, first and foremost.
1: Exactly. Rehydration and maintaining intake of whatever the child will take by mouth. You want to focus on the fluids, but also other foods as the child will tolerate them because they need those nutrients and resources in order to repopulate their GI tract.
0: I want to thank Dr. Christy Reed, a nationally recognized expert on travel medicine and one of the editors of Yellow Book who has been our guest. We have been discussing international adoption and family travel. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.